Lord, it is true that the weeks absolutely fly by. And it's hard to believe we're, we're really eight weeks away from, from a new year. Uh, a lot of us just got used to putting the right year on our checks. And now it's time to change up here before long. We, uh, we look back and we, in these months, have seen your goodness and your kindness. We've seen your grace. Whenever we're in a new year, and now we're in the 11th month, uh, we don't know what we're facing that year. We don't know what is around the corner. We don't know what you have planned. But we have learned that whatever is there, um, the good comes from you and the difficult comes from you. It, it, it comes uh, not randomly. It comes with a purpose. And as you said to Paul, yeah, your grace is sufficient for us. We are all on a journey. We're all on a trail. We're all on a path. We are at different uh, places on that path. Some of us are just getting started, newly married. First child, maybe two. Others of us are further down the road. Others of us, um, Scripture says you give us 70 or due to strength 80 years. Some of us are halfway there. Uh, others of us are, are further down that road and further down the trail. But what we all have in common is that we need you. We need your wisdom. I imagine a lot of us in here tonight need encouragement because uh, we're in a battle and we're in a war, and it's, uh, it's serious and there are very high stakes. We, we thank you that, as you told that Old Testament king, through your prophet, the battle is the Lord's. We simply show up. We simply report for duty. Uh, you have us in different places. You have us in different locales. Sometimes uh, you shift us. There are guys here tonight, and they have uh, undergone recently a change of assignment from you. And that involves a move, and they don't know all that that entails. Sometimes we're very comfortable. Sometimes um, we're in a spot, and we think we're going to be there long-term, and it's a short-term deal. And we're surprised when that occurs. But that's not by accident, and that too is not random. Sometimes there are interim steps to where you want us to be. And it's as though we take detours, but even those are part of your providential plan. We simply say to you tonight, Lord, that as we're on this stretch of trail that is before us, we, we say that we need you. We, uh, we want to be close to you. We want to be under your mercy. We want to be uh, not wandering. We want to have open hearts and open minds that are quick to hear and quick to do the word. We have uh, gained so much. I've gained so much from looking at this um, study on the process you took Paul through. It's not an easy process, but it is a necessary process. We're still in process. So encourage us. 
pump us up. Some of us have lost air out of our tires today. We're just running on rims. So we would ask, Lord, that you would give us uh, what we need for what's ahead this week. Thank you that you go ahead of us. Thank you that we're not in this by ourselves. Thank you that you're out in front leading us. That gives us the courage to keep going and to keep trusting. We pray these things in your name that's above every name. Amen. Well, we have been looking at 2 Corinthians, this book that gives us more insight uh, than any other into the life of the Apostle Paul. He uh, opens himself, he reveals himself, he is a great leader, he tells us some of his struggles. And, and he has had his share of struggles. Um, his life was not an easy life. His life, was, um, his life was, was a hard life. His life was a challenging life. I think it was Scott Peck, uh, who recently passed away, who wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled that sold, uh, I think that book was written close to 30 years ago. I know it was because I first heard about it um, almost that long ago. I'd say 28 years ago. I remember someone mentioning that book to me. The Road Less Traveled. And basically what Scott Peck said in that book that was a multi-million seller um, was that, here's the essence of the book. And by the way, I've never read that book. But I've had so many people tell me about the book that I can tell you what's in it. And it saved me a lot of time. (laughs) But the premise of his book is, if you think, as most Americans do, if you think that life is supposed to be easy, you are going to be sorely disappointed. So many of us, our expectations are so high and so lofty. Things should go our way. Things as we said last week, should go according to plan. Um, our career should just work out the way we envision it. The money should grow increasingly with each year. Uh, health all the way around, everyone in the family, you know, just good relationships, just, gosh, just a good life. The good life. If that's what you're expecting, Peck said, you're going to be disappointed. But if you change your expectation from thinking life will be easy, if you just change your expectation to expecting life to be hard, you'll do fine. That's pretty much the essence of that book. When you look at Paul and when you look at the scriptures, uh, you know, the Lord is really up front with us. He tells us up front that this is not an easy life. In Acts 14.22, it says, Through many tribulations... We must enter the kingdom of God. Not some, not a few, through many tribulations. He tells us, he he shoots straight with us. Philippians 1.29 says, it has been granted to you. A lot of people in the academic world fill out uh, a lot of paperwork trying to get grants 
A grant is a gift of money uh, for a particular project or a particular research uh, project. Uh, that's what a grant is. Philippians 1.29 says, It has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Once again, he tells us out of the blocks. I think of those familiar words of Jesus. Uh, in the world, you'll have an easy time. We've got that right up on our refrigerator. It's my life verse. Unfortunately, it's not what he said. Jesus didn't say in the world you'll have an easy time. Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation. He said in the world you'll have trouble. Now, when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was a man that God used and that God wanted to continue to use. So when you look at the process by which God was developing Paul. And Paul never stopped developing. He was an apostle, and he exercised the gifts of an apostle, and he wrote scripture. But he was in process just as we are in process. So we've been looking at his life to get a glimpse at the process that God takes his men through. And what we have found out is it's not an easy process. It's not life uh, going your way. It's it, it's not a stress-free environment. On the contrary, it's full of stress. It's full of hardship. It's, um, it, it's, it, it has its disappointments. Now, God is faithful, and God is good, and God has been gracious to us, but he allows us to go through pain. He brings pain into our lives. Uh, you say, well, that's not my view of God. Well, he's a father, and if you're a good father, you actually do that with your kids. If you're a good father, you will allow your kids to exercise, to experience pain. Not only that, at times, you will initiate pain upon their lives that they don't like, but you know it's precisely what they need in order to mature. What he wants to do is conform us into the image of Christ. Now that involves quite a bit of change, doesn't it? To, con to conform me into the image of Christ, you're talking change. And this kind of change, uh, quite frankly, isn't going to come from a cush life. It's not going to come from everything going my way. It's not going to come from... Um, all of my goals being checked off and uh, eternal bliss and, and happiness on this earth. That's not how we get there. It is a struggle. It is difficult and it is hard. But can we say this? He will do the work that he wants to do. Now to refresh our memories about Paul and about the process, we could go to a number of different passages in 2 Corinthians. I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 11, just to remind you of <clears throat> some of what he went through. He's having to defend his apostleship. In 11.23 of 2 Corinthians, he says, in making his defense, are they, not, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. An amazing statement there. Often in danger of death. 
Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Can you imagine just one lash on your back? You'd never forget it. 39 lashes, five times. That doesn't count the beatings that he can't count. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, uh, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the water. Can you imagine that? There's no GPS back then. There was no little life jacket going beep, 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 beep. He was just in the water. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now, let me ask you something. If that was you, and all of this had happened to you, and by the way, his life wasn't over yet. That's just what had happened to him up until when he was writing this. If you played football, and if you injured your knee, and you had to have surgery, when you got through rehab, and you stepped back on that field again for the first time, were you thinking about, uh, were you thinking about the offense? Were you thinking about your particular assignment on that particular play? Were you thinking about winning that game? Were you thinking about, you know what you were thinking about? Let me tell you what you were thinking about. You were thinking about your knee. The first time you stepped back onto a field after having surgery, you're thinking about that knee, and specifically, you're thinking, I don't want to get hurt again like I just went through. So, so, do you think that Paul, all that he had been through, do you think it ever crossed his mind at night? I've been all through this. I wonder what's around the corner. I think he thought about that some. We think about that some. Especially if you understand you're in a process. If you've got any grip at all on the biblical process that God takes men through, you know you're going to go through some hard times. Where I'm going tonight is 2 Timothy. As he is instructing young Timothy, this young rookie pastor, as he is mentoring Timothy, as he is writing to him, we know this about Timothy. Timothy, was a, uh, um, Timothy wasn't a fighter. He wasn't a confronter. You can piece that together pretty quickly. Uh, Timothy wanted everybody to get along. He didn't like confrontation. Um, Timothy was in a rough spot here, and Paul is coaching him. Paul is mentoring him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says something to Timothy that I think gives us a glimpse not only into what Timothy was dealing with, but a glimpse into what Paul had to deal with. And here's what he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, some translations put it this way. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. God has not given us the spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and discipline. Now, why would he bring this up? Because I think you would bring it up for this reason. When you have been through, notice he says he's not given us a spirit of timidity, a, a spirit of fear. See, what can happen when you've been through the things 
that Paul has been through, when you've been through a series of events, and we've talked about the fact that trials and hardship oftentimes come in waves. They come in groups. They come in clusters. It's not just one thing you're dealing with. Paul gives his list. He wasn't dealing. He didn't say, I've been beaten times without number. That's just one of about 35 things he says. Things come in waves. Things come in groups. It's like we're attacked on different sides. You just have this head-on collision with something, and you're getting your wits about you, and before you know it, you're knocked over from the side, and you're just getting your wheels under you and kind of recovering and figuring that out, and then someone hits you from behind. That often happens in life. It often happens in the Christian life. And what can happen when you go through a series of events, when you go through a series of hardships, when when you take it in the chops, when what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen, when you take a blow, when when, uh, what you thought was going to pan out doesn't pan out, and, and, it, and, and it has multiple consequences here and here and here. And you're just kind of reeling. Um, what can happen is, and it's just, it makes sense, doesn't it? You can develop a spirit of fear. Well, gosh, if, 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 if that happened and that happened and that happened, if God let me go through that, and then, well, what's he got for me right out here? And see, what can happen is you can become afraid. You can become afraid of what's out there. Uh, this is what he means when he says, God, Timothy, Timothy, you got to get a hold of yourself. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, that's, I think, our natural inclination is to protect ourselves. We get into this self-protecting mode, just as we do when we step on a football field in high school and we're recovering from a knee surgery. The last thing we want is for anybody to get close to that knee. <laughs> And some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you're, you know, you're blocking and the whole thing, you, you know, you're hitting some guy and the whole thing. I mean, you're kind of looking to see who's going to come in and, you know, you want to protect yourself. When we go through especially difficult chapters in life, it's very easy to get fearful because we're not sure what's out there. Now, Paul had a perspective. He had a perspective of God that you have to have when you go through these hard times. The perspective is you have to understand that the hard times come from the Lord, who is a good God, who knows precisely what he is doing in your life, and these things come for a reason. Uh, You understand that as we follow Christ, there is no luck. You understand that there are no coincidences. You understand that there is no karma. You understand that there is no chance. What happens to us is by the clear plan of God that is designed to accomplish his purposes in our lives. In, um, in Philippians 1, verse 6, Paul says this. And what does he say? I'm blanking. He. I, I've been blanking a lot lately. Yeah. No, I'm not on the verse yet. I'm, I'm on the fact I'm blanking. 
It's just becoming a more, it's becoming a reoccurring event here. So I hope you guys will come and visit me in the home. Yeah. I, I won't remember that you came. Yeah, okay, well. Here's what Philippians 1.6 says. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. In other words, the things that we think are setbacks, the things that we think are interruptions, are not setbacks or interruptions, quite frankly, at all. They are part of God's plan. They are part of the process. They are part of how he will bring about his plan. The problem simply is that our expectation, in so many cases, is that life will be easy. And this is trumpeted throughout Christianity. Books are written about this. Uh, preachers build huge ministries on this. And it is absolutely anti-biblical that your life will always be prosperous and healthy and happy and goody-goody and just the way you want it to be. That's not what Paul's experience was. That's not what you see in the scriptures. Uh, it's, uh, the Christian life is no pain, no gain. So God is going to put us through some things. Some of you guys had sons, and at a certain point, you were frustrated in their development. Uh, they weren't making progress, and basically what you did in some way, shape, or form was you strongly encouraged them to go into the military. Why did you do that? Because you knew what they needed that they needed to become men. They needed to learn discipline. They needed to get a grip on the reality of life and that life is not a game. Life is not continual high school. Is it? There's a point you gotta grow up. Uh, so you, you will engineer Hardship at a certain point in the life of a child in order to help the accomplish the purpose that needs to be accomplished in their life. Now, God guarantees it's going to happen. In, in Psalm 57, verse 2, the psalmist says, there's just a line here, and he says, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Uh, that's quite a statement. I, I've been... For the last couple of weeks, I've been going back and reading John Flavel's book, The Mystery of Providence, written about 300 years ago. And I try to read this book about once a year because these guys had such insight. I think I quoted from it last week. Uh, in referring to Psalm 57, verse 2, uh, Flavel quotes a commentator named Castelio, and he says this. Castelio's translation comes nearer to the sense when he says, I will cry unto God most high, unto God the transactor of my affairs. Well, what he's talking about here is providence. 
And then he goes on and says, for it cannot but be a great encouragement to his faith that God has transacted all things or performed all things for him. This providence that never failed him in any of the straits that ever he met with, and his life was a life of many straits, he might well hope would not fail him now, as though this were an extraordinary and matchless one. In other words, he looks back and he sees that God has accomplished all things, God has provided all things. Well, here I am again in a fix. God will take care of me in this one. Um, he goes on. I, I got so much stuff here marked. Th th see, this is good stuff, and we tend not to think this way. Um, when he speaks of providence, what he's talking about, the fact is that not only God, has God created us, but God sustains us. God gives us every waking hour and every sleeping hour what it is that we need. Is it not amazing that we've made it this far? Is that not true? Some of you guys were in the hospital and they wrote you off and said you were finished, but you're here. Uh, some of you guys have uh, stories. Some of you guys have been in automobile accidents. You, you never should have walked away from that, and you walked away from it. Or you were carried away from it. And uh, it took you months to recuperate and to heal and all that, but here you are. There, there are guys in this room who, who have been told by doctors that you would not live this long. But here you are. Do you know why you're still alive? Because of the providence of God. He has sustained you. So with that in mind, in speaking of providence, he says, Flavel says, it not only has its hand in this or that, but in all that concerns us. It has its eye, meaning the providence of God, upon everything that relates to them throughout their lives, from first to last. Not only the great and more important, but the most minute and ordinary affairs of our lives are transacted and managed by it. It touches all things that touch us, whether more nearly or remotely. It goes through with its designs, providence does, and accomplishes what it begins. That's what Philippians was saying. No difficulty so clogs it, no cross accident falls in its way, but it carries its design through it. Its motions are irresistible and uncontrollable. He performs it for us to God who accomplishes all things for me. Last night, we were, Mary and John and I were sitting around the kitchen table there, and um, uh, John is applying. He's testing for all these different fire academies because, you know, he's going to be out real soon. Uh, not fire academy. He's testing for fire departments. And, and you know, you've you know, you got to hit the test just right, and you've got to get everything. You know, all these guys are competing. And, and, uh, and he said, yeah. He said, but you know what? He said, what, eight months ago, I was wondering if I could get into the academy. And I got in. And now I'm going to graduate. And what he was saying, well, Gosh, eight months ago, I was wondering if I could do this, and God did it for me. And he, and, he, and he said, you know, one of the captains said something interesting today about the interview process. And he was saying that they oftentimes ask a question, and if they get this answer, it's a negative. I won't give you the details. But he said, that was really interesting to me, because I remember when I was being interviewed, and they asked me that question, I would have given that answer normally, but I didn't. I gave another answer, and I remember 
being surprised at myself that I responded the way that I did. But when I heard that captain say that today, if I hadn't given that answer, I probably wouldn't have gotten past those guys. What is that? That's the providence of God. You've had something like that happen to you, haven't you? Sure you have. To God, to God who accomplishes all things for me. With all these things we encounter and all these difficult, all these chapters of life, you know what? He's the one who's going to pull it off. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's going to do what he wants to do in our lives. But what happens is we get into this stuff and we get hit. And we get these waves, and we have different things that knock us down, and disappointments, and we're kind of reeling from life, and gosh, God, you know, this is, a rough, this is a rough chapter for me, and man, man, you know, when we start thinking, oh, gosh, I wonder what's coming next. See, that's the spirit of fear. Where does that spirit of fear come from? Come from God? Hmm. Comes from the enemy. Numerous times in the scripture it says, Fear? What? Not. God has not given us a spirit of fear. If, if I've taken some shots, it's because I needed to take some shots. God has been gracious to make me take some shots because if I hadn't taken no shots, maybe I'd be going full speed down this direction that I didn't need to go. See, we're pretty strong-willed people. Uh, we, we said last week, we got our goals and dreams and objectives, and we got it all scoped out how life ought to look. But sometimes what God does is God knocks us down. He interrupts that, and, and really in his mercy, in his, see, it is his mercy, and it is his kindness. We just don't see it because we can't, we can't explain it right then. And we don't see the good in it. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Think about Joseph. Joseph was 17. His, um, his brothers hated his guts. His dad had, you know, gotten him a coat at Bass Pro Shop and didn't get them one, and they had all this resentment. I mean, they really didn't like this kid. And... Uh, Anyway, you know the story. So they're going to kill him. Reuben, the brother, steps in and says, no, no, no let's go kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. And Reuben was going to come back and, and rescue him. But while Reuben was away, the slave caravan's going by. And so what do they do? They say, hey, you know, instead of killing this kid, let's at least make some bucks off him. Let's sell him to the slave caravan. We'll take his coat. We'll dip him in blood. We'll tell Dad. He'll never know. So that's what they did. When Joseph, here's a 17-year-old kid, when, when he was tied to that camel, do you think he had any fear? I'm telling you, he did. There was a spirit of fear all over him. Um, fear is very closely related to anxiety. Anxiety is a force. Anxiety can keep you up at night. Anxiety can, um, if, if you leave uh, the reading light in your car on all night, um, 
it can just suck your battery dry. Anxiety sucks our emotional battery dry throughout the day. You try to put it on the back burner, but it's still there. Anxiety and worry and fear are all tied in together. So here's Joseph. And Joseph is on this camel. And uh, his whole life is over. He's done. He's finished. Uh, he's 17. Back then, the way they worked slaves, if he would be alive at 25, it would be a miracle. Um, if Paul had have been there with Joseph, or if Paul had have heard of Joseph's situation, I think he would have written to him and said, uh, Joseph, God has not given us a spirit of fear. We'll come back to Joseph. Paul's writing to Timothy. Now, what's Timothy dealing with? He's dealing with some difficulty in the church. He's a young rookie. He's having to go behind Paul, and, you know, Paul would start these things, and Paul would leave, and Paul, you know, he, he's pastoring, and he's kind of in over his head. Um, he's afraid. So Paul writes to him and says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but. Okay, so we know about the spirit of fear. We know how it can happen. There's an antidote to fear. There are actually three antidotes that God gives um, through Paul to Timothy. Uh, if, if you're right now in a season of anxiety or worry or fear, you need to know about these antidotes. What is it that breaks the back of a spirit of fear? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, here's the first one, power. Power. Now, in the Christian life, where does power come from? It's not a trick question. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We come to Christ, the Spirit of God lives within us. Who is he? He's the, he, he's the Spirit of God. When, so here's what happens. When we get hit and we get this spirit of fear or, we're get, or, or we get worried and we're getting older and our bank account is getting lower and these circumstances are in our lives and, and we're wondering how this is going to work and all this and so we get anxious and we get worried and we get fearful. Um, the antidote to that fear is to get a grip on yourself and to ponder and meditate on the power of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Sometimes, sometimes in the Christian life, you need to shut up and you need to think biblically. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So sometimes you might need to say out loud, Lord, I resist the devil. I need relief from this attack. I need relief from this anxiety. I need relief from this worry. All right, so then how are you going to get it? Well, you're going to have to start thinking biblically. In Psalm 42, the guy in Psalm 42, you got a Bible there? I got one right behind me. In Psalm 42, you got a guy who's in trouble. You got a guy who's fearful. You, get a, you got a guy who's depressed. You got a guy who's lost his purpose, who is struggling over his very existence, and he's dealing with deep depression. 
And so here's what he says. Look at verse 5. He says, why are you in despair, O my soul? Or why are you depressed, O my soul? Now, know what this guy's doing here. This is really interesting. Uh, I love Martin Lloyd-Jones, what he's written on this. Uh, uh, Lloyd-Jones points out this. He says, note that what this guy is doing here is that this guy is talking to himself. Do you see that? He says, why are you in despair, O my soul? Lloyd-Jones says, the great problem with so many of us in the Christian life is that we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Now, follow this. You get hit, you get nailed about three or four different ways, and, you know, you're just, I mean, you're kind of looking like Rocky after going, you know, those, those rounds with Apollo Creed. I mean, you're, you're puffed up, you know, you can't, you can't breathe. I mean, you're, you're just kind of going like this. When you get like that, it's easy for a spirit of fear, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of worry to take over. It's very, it's very easy for that to happen, and, and the enemy's going to use this. And what happens is, when we get that banged up, and we've gone through all this stuff, what happens is our imaginations get extremely active. And we start thinking of all the bad things. See, all these things happen, all these things are wrong. Well, what if this goes wrong? And what if this goes wrong? And we take off down this path, and we are infinitely creative in our ability to paint negative scenarios. Is that not true? And, you'll, and, 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 and it sucks you of your energy. And it sucks you of, uh, of your ability to function and to do your work because you're out here creating all of the things that could and might go wrong. It's amazing how that works. And, and what happens is, when we're doing that and painting those pictures, we are listening to ourselves. Lloyd-Jones pointed out, when I first read this close to 20 years ago, what has to happen is you have to do what this guy does. You take yourself in hand. It's almost like this guy is going, why are you in despair? Oh, my soul. You put yourself up against the wall. What are you doing? Get a grip. You know something that's very practical when you're in despair, when you're in depression, when you're in fear? Answer the question. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Well, answer it. Get a legal pad and write out your fears. Just write them out. Write out your worries. Write out your... Just write them. Just write them out. That's a great thing to do. Just put them on paper. And once you've done that... Then start thinking biblically. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Because see, later he says in Psalm 42, in verse 11, why have you, he actually says it in 5 and in 11, why have you become disturbed within me? Well, here's why I've become disturbed. Write it down. Just put it on paper. And then he says this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. How can you hope in God with all of those things that could potentially happen. That takes us back to Paul and Timothy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but that of what? Power. All right. Here's where you've got to start thinking biblically. 
Instead of going crazy on all that can happen, you start thinking about the power of God. That's what you start thinking about. So Jesus is talking to Peter, and they're talking about this tax issue that's coming up. And Jesus is talking to him and all that, and he goes, okay, Peter. He said, yeah, all right, here's, here's the deal. You know what? Yeah, we'll pay the taxes. So go down. Tell you what. Go down and throw, and throw a line in the water. And uh, there's going to be a fish there with a drachma in its mouth, with a gold coin, and use that to pay the taxes for you and me. Remember that? What kind of power does it take to pull that off? Have you ever thought about that? They're just talking, you know. I mean, they were just in the middle of conversation. Suddenly, Peter asked something about taxes. Yeah, well, you know, they're talking, yeah. Well, okay, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. It's a good idea. Go down there and just throw a line in the water. You're going to catch a fish. He's going to have a coin in his mouth. That'll cover the taxes for you and me. Now, to Peter's credit, he did it. (laughs) Right? And he just went and did it. Why do you think he did that? I think it's because he had seen the power of God. I mean, the stuff he'd seen the Lord do. I mean, this is kind of nuts, but you know what? He might just pull this off. There, wouldn't it be wild? I mean, if it were me, I'm walking down there to that seashore. You know what would really be wild? If that fish has got a chump and drachma in its mouth. That's going to be really interesting. Throws the line in, pulls the fish out, drachma. That's power. That is what you call power. Have you thought about what it took to get that fish there at that precise moment with that drachma in its mouth? How did that come about? Did God just create the drachma in the fish's mouth? You know, I don't think he could have. I don't think he did. I think there's a whole story there of the providence of God that we know nothing about. I think somebody lost a coin. Maybe they're standing on a pier or something. They just, it, by chance, they lost that coin. You know what? There is no chance. There is no chance. Hey, guys, that's what you call power. Uh, <clears throat> on that north side of the Sea of Galilee, there are these beautiful, right from the right from the seashore edge, you get these hills and they go right up about two, three thousand feet. And Jesus would often go up there and the people would follow him and he'd teach them. That's where he did the Sermon on the Mountain. The Sermon on the Mount. And uh, but he would often go up there and he's talking to these people and you know, he's preaching and there are thousands of them. And it's getting late and you know, there are uh, no fast food places around or anything, and people are hungry, and, and the disciples mention this to the Lord, and he says, well, you give them something to eat. And uh, what do you mean? I mean, we, well, you know, we want to get these fishes and loaves and all this. And he says, well, bring it here. Get, you know, bring it here, and let's pray. And 
He said, all right, pass this out to these folks. And he starts, you know, taking a piece of fish and a piece of bread, and, and it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. And he feeds twice he did this. And afterwards, they picked up baskets. That's what you call power. Then, then on another occasion, they're right there by Capernaum, and they get in the boat, and they're going across, and Jesus is exhausted. And this storm comes up, and these guys have been on that lake a hundred times. But they've never seen a storm like this, and they thought, and they never seen waves, and they thought they were finished, and they thought they were done, and there was no escape. And they wake Jesus up, and he's asleep. And sometimes we feel that way. Jesus is asleep, and the storm is raging. They wake him up, and in their fear, they say, in their fear, because they were afraid. They say, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Well, what's the answer to that? Did the Lord care if they were perishing? Sure he did. But they didn't know that because they were just so panic-stricken. And so Jesus gets up, and what does he do? He speaks to this storm, and you know what the storm does? It obeys him. He said, be still. And you know what the sucker did? It just was still instantaneously. I mean, the waves just, boom. <laughs> when that happened, who then were they afraid of? <laughs> it's amazing how the focus of their fear changed. It went from the storm to the guy who orders the storm. Now, see, even as we've been discussing some of the power of God, some of you guys sitting here, your anxiety level has gone down and you didn't even realize it. Is that not true? Because of the power of God. You have to remember the power of God that he can exercise at any given moment when it so pleases him and it's when it's for your good. See, it was the power of God that made John give a different answer than he normally would have given. See, he's got you covered. Isn't it interesting that Jesus told the disciples that one day they'd be brought up before the council and they'd be persecuted? And he said to them at one point, he says, don't worry about what you will say because it will be given to you in that hour. You know, some guys are just quick on their feet. They're just good on their feet. Well, if we're going to be persecuted, Lord, and they bring them out, well, what am I going to say? What if I say the wrong thing? And what if I... Hey, hey, it's all right. I'll give to you in that hour what you need to say. Yeah, yeah, but what if you don't? Well, then you're horse meat. You're in trouble. <laughs> but you know what? I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to give you precisely what you need when you need. It's called providence. You guys still with me? Okay. All right. But that's just the first antidote. See, we get caught up in this fear and this worry and this anxiety, and man, I don't see any way out. And oh gosh, what if this happens? What if this? Happens? Okay, okay, whoa, whoa, ho, ho, ho! Snap out of it. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Well, because of this, this, and this, and this. Right, write it down. And once you get it all written down, then over that, write power, power. And then the second thing you're going to write over it is love. 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love. Biblical love protects. When the Lord talks to husbands in Ephesians 5, he says, husbands, love your wives. Just as what? Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So that's why, and I use this at the retreat, but some of you guys weren't there. When I hear a noise at 3 in the morning, that's why I say, Mary, go down there and check that out. <laughs> that's not what I say. If there's a noise down there, if there's somebody down there, they're not supposed to be down there. It's not my job to send my wife down there. It's my job, because I love my wife, to protect her and, if necessary, to give myself up for her. See, the love of Christ is a protective love. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. So what you do is you think of the power of God, and then you think about the love of God. You say, well, gosh, you know, I'm not, you know. And then we say, well, well I sinned, Steve. You know, I, I, I sinned, and I, I well, he, did he know that? Did he go to the cross and die for your sins? When Jesus went to the cross, how many of your sins were future? All of them. And how many of those future sins did he pay for on the cross? All of them. You know that great hymn in the church, Jesus paid it 90%? That's not the hymn. Jesus paid it what? All. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Here's an amazing thing about Christ. My sin from 20 years ago, he paid for on the cross. My sin today, he paid for on the cross. The sin I haven't committed yet, he's already paid for. And some guys will say, oh, no, no, don't say that. No, 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 don't, don't say that. Because if you tell people that the sin that you haven't committed yet, he's already paid for, then they'll just go out and sin. I don't think so. Not if you've been redeemed by him. Not if you know him. Not if you sing with all your heart, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? You're not going to walk out and live like hell. You're going to walk out and honor him because of who he is and what, he, what he's done. You're, you're going to love him. We love him because he first loved us. So see, we get in these trials and these hardships. Okay, now, yeah, we get them. All right, now listen. All right, so, so then we say, all right, well, what if this happens to me? Okay, well, let's just take, stop and take it. What if it happens? If God were to allow that to happen to you, why would God allow that to happen to you? I'm not trying to trip anybody up here. He loves you. Did you ever allow, did you ever allow something negative to happen to one of your kids? Sure you did. Why? Because you loved them. You allowed a negative to come into their life because they needed it. Did they see that they needed it? No. But they needed it.
third antidote, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love. And then he says, in sound thinking. See, here's, here's what happens. When we, sound thinking is the idea there in the Greek. When, when we get into these deals and we get this spirit of fear, we're not thinking soundly. We're fear-based. So how, how, do, how do you start thinking soundly? Do what Psalm 42 says. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Talk to yourself. Write it down. Well, I'm in, des- I, I'm in despair because of this. And, 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 and I'm disturbed because of this. And you write it down, and you write it down, and you write it down. And you just, if you can't sleep at 3 in the morning, get out a yellow pad and start writing why you are disturbed. And then over that, write power. Over that, write love. And over that, write sound thinking or sound judgment. Because when you're pondering the power of God and the love of God, you're thinking straight. Are you not? We left Joseph on the camel. He's tied up. His life is over. He's finished. He's done. He'll never see his family again. Maybe he had a girl. I don't know. I mean, he had hopes and dreams and aspirations and all that stuff. And his brothers have sold him into slavery. Has anybody ever really hurt you? I mean, really, really done you wrong. Boy, Joseph knew about that. You know what could happen? You can get so fixated on those people that you become absolutely worthless for what God's called you to do. All of your energy is given to them and what should happen to them and what they deserve. And it absolutely robs you. You you know what Joseph did? Joseph is sold into slavery. He, He goes to Egypt. By chance, Potiphar buys him. There is no chance was part of the providence of God. He starts on the low end. He starts working his way up. And then before you know it, instead of being dead at 25, you know, he's got a company chariot, and he's got a 401K and good health plan and a couple weeks vacation. Things are going good. Everything, he can't believe his good fortune. Potiphar's wife, don't know her name, love to call her Predator. She wants to sleep with him day after day. He won't do it. One day she must have cried rape. He's in prison. This guy has taken now two major shots in his life. Was he in prison because he had done something wrong? No, he'd done something right. Would it not have been easy for Joseph to fall into a spirit of fear? Man, I keep trying to obey. I keep trying. And you know what? I keep getting knocked down. I mean, this. And, and, and can I ask you something? How do you ever get out of an Egyptian dungeon? You don't. Had Joseph ever read Genesis? No. No. 
Well, you know the story. The two guys are thrown in. He interprets their dreams. They go back. One guy does. The other guy's going to die. Joseph says, don't forget me. What happened? The guy forgot him. You know why the guy forgot him? Because God wanted him to forget. Because it wasn't time yet. But then one night, Pharaoh in his silk jammies and his silk sheets, greatest man on earth, has this dream, can't figure it out, wakes up. None of his guys can interpret it. Suddenly, the guy remembers, hey, there's this Hebrew in the dungeon. You know why he remembered? God wanted him to remember. Go get him. They bring him up. By the Spirit of God, he interprets the dream. In 45 minutes, he's the second most powerful man on the face of the earth. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. I've said this before. When I get to heaven, I want to ask Joseph what he was thinking the hour before he was summoned to Pharaoh. I can't prove it. My guess is it was one of his lowest times. I can't prove it, but I suspect it. And you know, there's all this abundance. Joseph administrates it because there's famine. Then his brothers come. You know the story. His whole family comes. They build a nice subdivision with a golf course. They call it Goshen. And they move in. And it's really neat. It's got lagoons and everything. It's just for them. And then one day, years later, his dad dies, finally. The patriarch. And now his brothers say, he's going to get us. Now he's going to get us because dad's gone. And Joseph looks at his brothers and says to them, you intended it for what? But God intended it for. Could that possibly be true in your life? You know it is. You know it is. To God who accomplishes all things for me. Who began a good work in me, he'll bring it to completion. And you know what? Right now where you are, you may be like Joseph in a dungeon. You got no friends. You got no resume. You got nothing. But do you have a savior? Then fear not. So Lord, we thank you. You are an amazing God. This just doesn't happen to guys in the scripture. You're still working. You're still active. You know every guy. You know where we are. You know what's happening. Some guys in here are pretty beat up. Help them to get a hold of themselves, to lay out the fear, and to start thinking biblically, and to put their trust in you. 
would you help me to do that? And all of those of us who are concerned about what's coming, you run it all, you own it all, you got a plan. And this stuff that we think sets us back doesn't. It just cooperates and bows as the waves and the wind did on that sea on that evening. So we honor you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.